Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Iron Works Podcast. I'm Pastor Tyler. And I'm Zach. And today we are finally bringing an end to our series on the Trinity. This is going to end up being part seven of the Trinity, and it would have been maybe nice to be a multiple of three yeah, but seven's episodes. a number of completion. Seven's though, right? a number so of completion, right? Yeah, so yeah. That's, that's, that's... We meant we meant to do that. We did that on purpose, everybody. <laughs> yeah. um, well, uh, we've been going through the doctrine of the Trinity. We've talked about what the Bible says. We've gone through the ins and outs of the theology, and we've actually heard from a lot of you, mostly folks in our own church, about how much you're enjoying this series. And I'm glad that you do, because this is the kind of thing we want this podcast to be in the future, to dive in like a layer deeper than I can go on a Sunday morning. You know, Mm -hmm. this is seven hours, you know, or seven hour and a half episodes that that's a lot. It's a long time of talking about this. And in order to get that on a Sunday morning, it it would take quite some time. So this is uh, that next layer deep that we want to be able to do. And, um, you know, to remind us all that this is not, theology can be complicated and difficult. And this is probably about as difficult as it gets, but you know, y'all can get this. Mm -hmm. This isn't so bad. Uh, you know, with your, these doctrines that we're supposed to believe, but maybe you're like, you've been told, some people even tell folks like, look, you just believe the Trinity. It's not going to make any sense to you. Yeah. Just like, well, I don't, I don't agree with that. I, I disagree. I think that you can grasp this. It takes some time. It's a, it's a training of your brain, but it's, it must be, must be learned. So I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed going through this. Yeah. I think this is like, like you said, this is super important. And even as, you know, obviously as we're going through this this is something that i'm familiar with and i've studied it but even you can do all that work and you still as you go back through something in a systematic way you you brush up and you realize oh that's that's a bit of it that i really maybe hadn't grasped as well as i should have or that's that's something that i need to go do some reading on it so it's it really doesn't matter where you are in that journey of learning with the lord that whether it's very early on and maybe some of you this is totally new for you this is the first time you've been led through this or maybe for some of you folks you've got that those seasoned saints you know years and all the reading and study behind you but it's always still good to just you know like the bible says immerse yourself in these things right and let all, let everyone see your progress paul mm-hmm. said to timothy you know so you might say i don't know if i grasp all of this yet well if you grasp it better than you did when we started then that's good and hopefully right. this will enable you to go back and listen to them again and dive a little deeper and eventually we're going to get to the place where we'll be recommending resources for y'all so many great books on the trinity that you mm. can read and there are some debates that we've dove, dove into i mean within those that are orthodox but uh it's it's all right this has been a good time so i do want to remind everybody of the doctrine of the trinity itself before we move on As I've said many times throughout this process, I'll just say it one more time. Many people reject the doctrine of the Trinity or question it or feel like they can't grasp it because they truly don't know what we mean when we say the Trinity. So yeah, God is three in one, but that language is so vague for a doctrine that has been articulated rather precisely. Uh, Athanasius yes. like gave us the, the creed and those that added to it, the uh, you know, Constantinopolitan fathers that made their creed, which was the one we usually quote today, that they were very specific about it. So let's remember what we're, we're talking about when we say this. First of all, there is one God that Easy enough, Zach. I yes, I wish that that's, just one. It's in the it's in the the Shema, right? Hero yep. Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. So whatever we say after this does not change that fact, right? Okay. Second, we believe that God exists in three persons: the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
God is three persons. And there's various ways that language is portrayed. You often hear God is manifested in three persons or God has revealed himself as three persons. And that's all fine. But I prefer to use the stative verb to say that God is three persons or God exists in three persons. Only, yeah, everybody means the same thing usually when they say that. But to clarify that this is not just a way of talking about God. This is who God is. Or a way God represents himself it's not like god shows up this way as if god's putting on masks or whatever right it's 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 the trinity is a statement about god's essence yes his nature right Mm -hmm. that god is father son and holy spirit and these are distinct persons from one another the father is not the son the son is not the spirit the spirit is not the father but they are one god they together are one God. You don't even want to say things like they together constitute one God or one God comprises three persons because then you're introducing separation, which is what we don't want. I'm getting too far into this. I'm just want to, we've all got, gone into all of this. There's one God who exists in three persons. We believe that the Trinity exists in a relationship of mutual indwelling, which we call perichoresis, that the Father is in the Son and so is the Spirit and the Spirit contains the Father and the Son, that this is not separation again, but there is this mutual indwelling, a very special relationship. We believe that they are distinct in their relationships of origin, that the Father is neither begotten nor spirated by any. We have the Son who is eternally begotten by the Father. These are eternal relationships of origin. And there is the Spirit who is eternally breathed out or spirated by the Father and the Son. So they are distinct, not just in the things they do, but in their, their origin. So they are distinct. However, they are one. There is one God. And um, again, I've had a couple of people comment, oh, that, that eternal generation thing really helped me. Once again, I didn't come up with that. Right. <laughs> that's, that's old ancient theology that was actually pretty good, believe it or not. Especially on things like the Trinity. If you came up with something, it might, you might want to double check it, <laughs> yeah. right? These are, we've talked about this. These are things that, you know, we're just repeating the, the, the long-held theology of God's church through history. And that's what's so important about things like the Trinity. Like you said, is it's this is innovation is not good here. No. <laughs> we we want to know what what is what is God's church believe and, and this is yeah, it's it's it gives you that that firm foundation to, to stand on that you're not just gonna come up with things. Right. And I believe that there are opportunities for doctrine to develop and to grow, mm-hmm. um, always building upon a foundation, not starting over. But the Trinity is one of those things that was established a long time ago. And all Orthodox Christians of every stripe agrees on this. Mm-hmm. So anyway, one God, three persons, perichoresis, mutual indwelling. We also believe that the persons of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have distinct roles to play in their actions. This is called the economy of the Trinity, as opposed to the ontology of the Trinity. Ontology means being or nature, that God is three persons in one substance. The economy is how those three persons operate, and there's mutual submission where they will submit one to another, and uh, there's always the harmony of purpose, but it's called the economy of the Trinity. The Son is not inferior to the Father, but the Son was in submission to the Father while he's on the earth. And that that distinction, I think that clears up so much, so many problems that people have, um, if you can understand the difference between those two things. Yep. Um, and uh, last thing we'll say is it is heresy, as the old creed says, to divide the substance or confound the persons. 
To divide the substance means to define God in such a way that you have more than one, tritheism, that Mm -hmm. God, the Son, and the Spirit are different. They're not the same. They are uh, completely separate from one another. We have three gods. No, that is absolutely not true. Nor should you confound the persons where you say there is one God and there's no distinction among the persons, that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all exactly the same. Well, that's not true either. What you're trying to do is balance the revelation that the Bible has given to us, and I think we've been able to demonstrate that for you. So I hope you're you're able to grasp this. Zach, what struck you as we've gone through this doctrine? Has anything just been clarified for you or, or anything that you felt was just a good refresher or hit you differently this time? I think the, the thing that struck me really is that... In- this happens every once in a while when you get back into some some part of theology. It's just the beauty of the truth of Scripture. What it, what I mean by that is it's, you know, a lot of times we can get really, especially if you're like us, where I don't know if you guys can get this from the podcast, but we really love this stuff. I mean, this is stuff that we would talk about. We talk about together in the church office after record is off. And so uh, you get all excited about the the facts and, and things, and that's all good and important and true. But the the unity of the truth of what's presented in scripture how there's not oh over here it talks about god as this but over here it talks about god as totally different how there's there's just a everything is cohesive and, and as we were reading all these verses and it all hangs together and all builds this picture together and that to me is something that you just you don't get to if you're just making up some facts about god you know, the Trinity is one of those things, and a lot of Christian theologians and apologists have pointed this out. The Trinity is one of those things that you just would not make this up. No. You, you know, and, and yet, because it's revealed in Scripture, like we've talked about on the podcast, you you come to this in an, in order to harmonize all of what is in Scripture about God. And that, to me, is just, it's such an incredible thing that, you know, it, it makes logical sense to me, but it also makes sense to me, I don't even know how to express this, somewhere in my heart or my soul, that God would be the kind of person that would be beyond us, even in his being. And that's that's what's incredible about the Trinity, is it's explaining, look, God is so far above you that he isn't even the same type of being as you. Right, and it's, it's the familiarity that is also different. Like God is, we can understand God to a degree like, oh yeah, he's, he's, he's a father, Mm -hmm. but he's also a father and a son at the same time. Right. You know, and there's this spirit and they're not the same. And it's, it's, it's just like us enough, but just different enough Mm -hmm. for us to be like, this is something beyond us. It's greater than us, which is exactly what we should expect. And yeah, I, I've read more than my fair share of, of science fiction and fantasy and learned about all sorts of strange creatures. And none of that ever comes close to the doctrine of the Trinity that just in its, it, it, there's there's something also called the ontological argument for the existence of God. I, th- I think there's that argument for the Trinity as well, that just once you you plug that in, it just all falls into place. Or yes, maybe yeah. you call it the coherence theory of, of truth, that if if it it has to make sense and all fit together for it to be true, it certainly passes that test. This doctrine does so. Yeah, definitely. Um, and this is essential. This is essential Christian orthodoxy. If you do not believe this, you are outside the pale of New Testament Christianity. You've you've mm. gone beyond, or you have not gone far enough, and your definition of God is flawed. And I believe there are many people that are misled or who misunderstand and would be prepared to be learned and and to learn and prepare to be learned, um, (laughs) prepare to learn and prepare to be taught, but they haven't been. And there are others maybe in the church that believe the Trinity and they 
yet they have a misunderstanding about the doctrine. So it's, it's you know, you ask this question, do you have to believe in the Trinity to be saved? It's like, well, yes, but there you do not need to have the complete understanding of, of the Trinity. It's just there are certain things that when you begin to deny them about the Trinity, you start to mess with other important doctrines. Like if Jesus is not distinct from his father, well, first of all, scripture is bearing false witness about God. And also, to whom was Jesus making propitiation? What does it mean that God sent him as his son? So um, that I think that's an important distinction to make is there are some who would believe it if they could have it explained or maybe hold a misunderstanding about it. But it, once you have been demonstrated the truth about who God is, you're held accountable for I that I think knowledge. that rejection is a pretty important criterion when we're talking about something as serious as heresy too, that heresy isn't just you can't explain it very well if I, if I, you know, stop you on the street and ask you to explain right. it. Heresy isn't, you know, have you read enough? How, who among us is going to be able to have perfect theology so that we never make a mistake? That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about, heresy is always someone who denies, who says, I have read, I understand, and I deny categorically that this is who God is. And, and we can be so confident, I think, Tyler, to say, yes, be, to be non-Trinitarian is to be heretical because that's... You look back at scripture, well, scripture, I'm sorry. You look back at at Christian history. This is one of the first and one of the most consistent battlegrounds that the church has fought with heresy. Right. If you start looking at the old heresies, which you can look up and, oh, well, what's Arianism has to do with the Trinity? You you know, it's it's some of the earliest people that were willing to go to war and say, no, you know, you, you, we are, we are at doctrinal odds and we, I'm going to try and convince you. And if I can't, you can't fellowship with us. This was the one doctrine that began to split the church. And, and, you know, every cult is going to start by messing with the Trinity somehow. Almost always. Usually the person of Jesus too. Yes. And, and contrary, I think (laughs) some folks, yeah, contrary to some folks today, I don't think that division is somehow wrong. The Bible says there must be divisions among you so that we know who's teaching the truth. Yes. And especially on an issue like the Trinity, where we're, if we're talking about somebody that's going to say, no, I deny that this is who God is. If you won't divide with somebody over the person of God, over the, over the, the revelation of God, God's being, God's, you know, God, who God is and how he works, then... Th- at some point, we can just all say whatever we want, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. There are some truths that do act as that dividing line, that plumb line, and this is one of them. Yeah. Now, I I believe there are some who perhaps have been raised in, you know, strange so-called denominations or cultic groups who reject the Trinity because they don't know what the doctrine of the Trinity is. And oh, if it could yeah, be explained to sure. them, they'd be like, well, that that's not at all what I was told. And I know we believe in a God of grace. And I, I simply put my trust in that, our, that if you seek, you will find. If yeah. you honestly want to know God, God is going to bring you to himself. And I believe that he's going to bring you to these doctrines here. It's born the best fruit over the years. Yeah, is absolutely. The so, but I don't really want to talk too much about that here. Um, I want to talk today about what Trinitarian Christianity ought to look like. We know what the doctrine is. All right, well, let's talk today about what that looks like and how it affects the way you think about life and, and how it positively affects your life. Mm. And, you know, it is unfortunate that, here's what I'll say. I think most, we're just, you know, leaving aside the, the heretical cult groups aside now. I think most Trinitarian churches still affirm the Trinity. Like, that's not an issue. Most evangelical Christians, mm-hmm. you're making your doctrinal statement, you don't even think about it. You throw the Trinity down on there. No big deal. 
But I don't know that this doctrine has saturated the church to the extent that it should or that it ought to. There's a a famous quote, and the name of the writer escapes me now, but if you read a book on the Trinity, I'm pretty sure they're going to quote it. But they they said, uh, were the doctrine of the Trinity today have to be affirmed as false, the vast majority of Christianity would remain unchanged, which is a shame. Hmm. He says, mm-hmm. if we all of a sudden say, oh, guess what? We can't believe in the Trinity anymore. He says, most people wouldn't have to change much. When you hear that, you kind of, your soul sort of bears witness with that a little mm-hmm. bit. Like, okay, I know some people that disagree with that. And and they're maybe, you know, strong statements are meant to make a point, not always to be perfectly accurate. You know what I'm saying? But, but you think, man, for something that important, ought it not to affect every area of our life? So mm-hmm. it should is the answer to that question. But let me just ask you, Zach, do you agree with that statement? And if so, how, to what degree, what has been your experiences? What do you think about that? That if the doctrine of the Trinity had to be abandoned tomorrow, the vast majority of Christianity would remain unchanged. Unfortunately, I think you got to at least agree with it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I I don't want that to be the case, but, you know, I've heard that statement formulated as, you know, specifically focusing on the person of the Holy Spirit and saying, if we no longer affirm that the Holy Spirit was God, that wouldn't change much of what we do in the church today. And, and, And so that's kind of even dialing it in from that broad Trinitarian look to specifically the Holy Spirit. And I think that is one of the places where we can can commit this this error unfortunately in the church and i i definitely have had that experience in my growing up and and walking with the lord early on and i'll just say i'm the first person to be kind and graceful i think to people when they when they can unfortunately kind of ignore the trinity because i came you know that, that was my experience what, what did that look like for you well what it looked like is you know i never you gotta you know and my mom and dad may be listening so hi guys i love y'all um the, the, this was never ever a thing where somebody in my church or my family or, or one of my teachers came and said you know we're not really the trinity doesn't really matter or we're not really sure about that that would never have oh my goodness that would right. have been resisted and that's a good thing <laughs> yeah of course but it was just that lack you're saying that lack of emphasis to where it took a longer period in my Christian life to realize, no, not only do I just believe the Trinity up here, I'm pointing at my head, um, or, or not only do I believe the Trinity over here on our doctrinal statement, but the Trinity is has to be in our ministry, in my prayer life, in my in my walking with Jesus day by day, in in my you know what about the spiritual gifts, like all that, and I think that the that to me comes from it's not just like I said saying yes we agree to the Trinity, but okay, if the Holy Spirit is just as much God as Jesus is God, then what is the Holy Spirit's opinion about the way that we're doing our ministry? Is he is he being consulted? Is he being asked? He's got lines in the Bible. Does right. he have, is he speaking to me? The participation you know, of God becomes a real thing. That then. kind of thing, I think. And I, I tell people that the, the thing that I have been blessed by as I've continued to walk with the Lord and that I want for people is that experiential Christianity. Because I think that's the thing. When you talk about people who say, oh, I tried Christianity and it didn't work for me, brother, you know, or sister, you didn't, ex- Did you? <laughs> yeah, you didn't experience God. And part, a lot of that experience of God that we have as Christians comes with the ministry of the Holy Spirit, because mm-hmm. the Bible says he's going to be the spirit that's going to be with you. It's going to be speaking to you. It's going to be working through you. And so I think if we neglect the Trinity or we, and specifically and if I we think neglect the Holy now Spirit. You mentioned it, that's probably the place where I've seen the most, uh, defense of the Trinity, or at least recapitulation of the doctrine, is in books that I'll read about the, the Holy Spirit, about spiritual gifts, etc. Let's back up. Who it. is the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. Let's talk yeah. about him. And yeah. 
but I, I looked up the quote, by the way. Mm. Um, this is a guy named Carl Rayner or Rahner. I don't know his name. I don't know much about him. Uh, but that's the guy that usually is quoted. And I'll just give it the exact wording here. He said, should the doctrine of the Trinity have to be dropped as false, the major part of religious literature could well remain virtually unchanged. Mm-hmm. And I heard that and I, I, my initial thought was, yeah, I think so. And I've only ever been to great churches, and I went to a fantastic seminary. Same here. Loved the church and believed the Trinity with all their heart and dug mm-hmm. in their heels on that issue. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking today about was there an emphasis? Was this like a constant? What, was it very plain that, wow, these people really believe in the Trinity here? Mm-hmm. Uh, not just that when I was baptized, it was in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and not that it wasn't taught when it came across in the doctrinal series or, or any such thing, but... I, I hear that and I almost take it as a, as a challenge or, or uh, an inspiration to, well, what would it look like if we made our Christianity look a little more Trinitarian? I don't want to mm. dog anybody out, um, but I want us to, I would love us to take this doctrine and bring it to the forefront of our Christian lives, of our churches and of our writing and our preaching and our singing. And, and sometimes our songs really help with that. Mm-hmm. And, oh yeah. Uh, you know. Good ones, yeah. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. That's Jesus Messiah, right? As mm-hmm. a Trinitarian song. And it's it's good that we have things like that to keep the, that alive. But I know many times I've been asked questions about theology, and the answer to that is a Trinity question. Uh-huh. And I'll say, oh, it's a, that's the Trinity. And then someone goes, okay. And then I've got to back up, and I've got to, I've got to do all this. So um, I don't think that anybody is opposed to this, at least in the circles we run into, but I just would love to see us do more of that. I think our worship, our religion should be Trinity-shaped. It's Trinitarian-shaped worship that we are very clearly distinct, not just in our doctrine from the Jews and the Muslims and the Mm. Unitarians and whoever else, but you can't can't, uh, hide out here and think that you're all right, that it will come up very quickly that these people believe mm. something different about God. There's something unique that the scriptures revealed. And that's if that's who God is, and, and it is who God is, yep. then we ought to be celebrating him. And, oh. and some of it, maybe some of this to be real fair. We're really not trying to attack anybody here. Uh-uh. Um, but maybe it's just routine. It's it's laziness, dare I say, or just, you know, we're just going to go about our business and we're just going to do it without really stopping to think, Huh, I've never wondered how the Trinity affects my prayer life. Maybe I should think about that. But um, that's what we want to talk about. Today. I don't think any of this is going to be surprises for anybody. To me, this is one. Of, this is one of those cases of you got. You can't leave your rear guard, you know, undefended in in ministry or in your Christian life, right? Oh yeah, we've got that solved. I don't need to worry about that. Often, those areas can be areas where the enemy creeps in through neglect or through just lack of emphasis, and that's where he can have a field day. Because you're on guard over here. You know that, hey, in this day and age, I need to be careful against relativism, or I need to be careful against the culture. But the Trinity, you're like, the Trinity, that's a solved issue. But then by not emphasizing it, all of a sudden that can cause weaknesses, right? Or, you know, you're working out with your one arm over here, but you've got this one weak arm. And I'll go ahead and say, I think that the Trinity is one of the areas of, let's say, reform, Right, because we as Christians we're continu- we're Protestants we're continuing to reform we're always looking at what does the Lord want us to revive and and emphasize I think this is one of the main areas that the church is going to be seeing reform in going into the future as we reach you know Tyler our generation and the next generations because I think they're the generations that they need 
they, they may have been missing that experience with Jesus, that undeniable, I have met God experience. I think they've got some of the head knowledge maybe that we've got nailed down. Now it's time to get back to, okay, how do we help them have that Trinitarian experience of God? And that's why it's a great time to look at these yeah. things. And I'll just say to those of you that maybe see this as making a mountain out of a molehill, um, we've encountered many people. I know I certainly have in my ministry who, Oh yes. Uh, yeah, this yeah. was the sticking point. Mm. This was the thing that either led them to salvation or kept them from salvation. And I would say if it's that important as it is, it ought to be important. And I, I think what we're saying today is it's not just that we, we don't believe God is Trinity just so that we have the right idea about God. It, it affects mm-hmm. every other area of our lives in ways that we often take for granted. And we want to we want to dive into some of those today. So we've yeah. got seven things that we want to look at. Seven areas that are affected by the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. Seven areas of your life that maybe this won't be news to any of you, but we'll just remind you about how the Trinity affects this and how we can draw forth a more conscious awareness of of the triune God. So we first will talk about the gospel. And I would hope this would be the most obvious one, that we have a Trinitarian gospel. And many times in the Bible, we talk about we were saved by God, or we're saved by Jesus, or saved by the Spirit, or saved by the the Father and the Son, or saved by the Holy Spirit of Jesus. Or, Or, you know, it talks about salvation that way, because each person of the Godhead had a part to play. And in the the distinct economy that this was a Trinitarian action to save you. Mm -hmm. So we start with the father, which is kind of the obvious one. The father is the one who made the decision, you might say, or determined in his will and purpose to save humanity. That when Adam and Eve sinned, we're not going to judge them immediately. We're going to save them. We're, We're going to predestine those to be saved and and develop this plan, the Bible says, before the foundation of the world to save men. And Jesus is the, the son of God, the more obvious one that we know. And in order to effect that plan, Jesus, the son, became a man. He took on flesh. He became incarnate, came down to the earth, set an example for us, affirmed who he was by many signs and wonders, died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, offered up his blood to his father who accepted that sacrifice Mm -hmm. and was then raised from the dead. Many places say he raised himself from the dead because they were all involved and ascended to the father. But all of that was done by the Holy Spirit who overshadowed the Virgin Mary and, and gave her the son Jesus, who led Christ during his life, who raised him from the dead and has now been sent to us to minister that salvation to us. So, I mean, Zach, this is a Trinitarian gospel that we believe. Oh, yeah. And a lot of times I think, and this is this is both true for either when I'm speaking to people who do not believe in the gospel and they bring up objections and sometimes you kind of crinkle your nose and you're like, where did you get that or that idea <laughs> or that's odd? It, it comes from a not apprehending what we believe about the Trinity. Like, and, and it's also true for people sometimes that have a little bit weird or maybe even faulty ideas of the atonement that are believers, but they just, they're, they're maybe their understanding of atonement is not quite right. So for example, uh, you know, maybe you've heard this objection that people will say, well, I just think it's horrible and bloody and nasty and awful that you believe, you believe that God killed Jesus to, to, you know, to save you. Why couldn't God do it some other way? Well, 
okay, in a sense, is that correct? And they're just, you know, being picky about the way things look or they, they're not satisfied because it doesn't feel okay to them. Yes. And you can, you don't feel like you have to back off that or not defend. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sorry you feel that way, but the Bible makes it clear the wages of sin is death. However, we feel about it. I agree with that. But also listen what, to What's how, gruesome is not so much what was done, but that this is, this is what is deserved. Yes, by your own sin. but also listen to how even in that description, well, God would go and kill his son. Yeah, but what you're neglecting here is that it's God's self-sacrifice, that yes. Jesus is not so separated from the Father that, you know, God is saying, you know, we're, we're you know, this other person, I'm going to heap it all on him. It's God in Trinity giving himself, saying, I will be the one. Yes. And yes, within the the persons of the Trinity, there is a father who is judging and a son who is submitting. That's true. But you can't so separate them that you forget that it's 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 painful to the father to do this, not only because it's his son, but because God is the one who's, who's being sacrificed. So you can even see how in that, if you don't understand the Trinity, you can misunderstand what's going on at the crucifixion and the right. resurrection. That it was not... First of all, Jesus was a willing sacrifice. Nobody made Jesus do anything. Right. And I find that most people that object to that, that's not their objection. Mm. Like, that's not really what it's about. Mm. They're saying that to get a rise out of you. They're saying that it's just so brutal and so nasty. That's not why you don't believe that. You're just saying that because I don't believe it. And also, while we're at it, I don't like your story. Mm. Well, you have to believe that in the Trinity, this was the Son in obedience to the Father. But if we look at the oneness of God... This was God on his own mm -hmm. sacrificing himself for you and for me. And that's what's so amazing and wonderful about this. Now, you start tweaking with the Trinity. What is the atonement? We've I've kind of hit on this, yep. but let's just hit it again. Like, what is Jesus doing to save you? Let's say if you're a modalist, you're a oneness, you know, you believe Jesus only or whatever it might be. Like, what exactly do you believe Jesus did to save you? I died on the cross for my sins. All right. Why? Why a cross? Why death, right? Why did he have to sacrifice? Sacrifice himself to whom exactly? To himself? Did Jesus just die and then God was dead and then God came up? What, what, is, what is this about the father sending his son? What, what does it mean when it says the fa it pleased the father to bruise him? You know, it, it, he has put him to grief. You, got, you have to believe that all of these descriptions of what happened at the cross is just poetic language that is not meant to be taken seriously. Yeah. You have a weak view of scripture there. So And you see how the the Trinity is the the apparent not contradiction, but the um what's the other word? The uh juxtaposition or the paradox of the Trinity is it is is essential to even have a salvation and a justification in the first place. It's just like we have to have God's wrath and God's love. We can't have one of the, or the other to be justified. It's the same way in the Trinity. We can't have just one God running around and swapping hats and sacrificing himself to himself. That's not going to save us. We also can't have three gods fighting and one of them loses and he's sacrificed. Yes. How is that? Like, you, do you see? So in both of those failures to understand, you see that the Trinity is... It's so integral to the gospel that without it, the whole gospel breaks down. Yeah, it really does. I, I mean, if you... Jesus is a, is propitiating the wrath of God, but he's really not. What, what was the point of taking on humanity then? How is he representing humanity to God then mm -hmm. if he has not taken on humanity within himself? Like what, 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 it's, it becomes nonsensical. So then your theology of the atonement, and as I said, I believe most oneness theologians 
um, have a very fuzzy idea of what the atonement would be in the mm. first place. Uh, what, well, he died for my sins. Okay, again, what is that? Well, Jesus conquered death and he conquered the grave. Why did he have to become a man in order to do that? Did, why did he have to die on a cross in order to overcome the grave? If he could have just snapped his fingers and made it done. That there is a cosmic truth and principle here that, that God is establishing. That there is this, this uh, it's, it's a, an Old Testament sacrifice. I mean, what do, you, what do you do with the picture of Abraham and Isaac? The father about to sacrifice his son. And the Lord says, I will sacrifice myself. I'll provide yeah, a sacrifice. I'll My provide. son will stand in right. this place. Uh, and and if you don't believe in the, the Holy Spirit, okay, well, what does it mean when it says the Holy Spirit of God will overshadow you, Mary? And it means that he drove Jesus into the wilderness, and that the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you. The gospel is only works as the Bible describes it when you have a Trinitarian gospel. And, and that's I, true. I can't Pas- make that statement arrogantly because... Every person that has loved the Lord has, has dug through this, and that's the position that they arrived at. And that's true past even the crucifixion to the resurrection and to, um, you know, the, the sanctification and glorification of Christians. Being a Trinitarian, you get to, you get to, you can understand and explain and wholeheartedly believe some of the most paradoxical wild statements in Scripture. What is it? What, how could that even be possible? What do you mean that now Jesus, as eternally God and man, is bringing us into the life of the Trinity? That makes no sense if you're not Trinitarian. Yeah. What but, about that verse where it says there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus? Right. What is that? What, what does, does that, that even mean? mean? You you have to take all these scriptures and 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 deconstruct them, rip them apart, and say no, that that can't mean what it says. And I don't have much. Uh, esteem for a theology that goes to the Bible telling us that this verse can't mean what it no, says. No, not at all. And, and we know? get in the gospel now, we get to see how we're being, part of the story of the gospel is us being brought up, not made God, you understand, but the doctrine of glorification, part of the beauty of it is that we receive this inheritance of Jesus. He's received this inheritance from his father, and now he's saying, and I want to give this to you freely. You, you know, and yeah, again, and, we, and we're going to hit more of that at, at the end. But yeah. Like just so, I just want to show you the, the gospel is trinitarian. So mm-hmm. you believe the gospel when you say things like the Father sent His only Son. Oh, that's a trinitarian statement. Mm-hmm. And uh, those of you that are creative, that are are artists or musicians or writers, take some of these thoughts and and meditate upon them. Those of you who are pastors, when you present the gospel, mm-hmm. present the gospel in a trinitarian manner. Show everybody that this is. This uh, there are some people that I would believe push the point a little too far, but they're like the whole the Trinity is the gospel. Like the doctrine of the Trinity is the doctrine of the gospel because there is no gospel if this doctrine does mm-hmm. not exist. Yeah, yeah. And I think that might be pushing it a little far to say that, but the point's well taken. So that's it. We've got a Trinitarian gospel. Number two, the Bible says that God is love. That God is love. It is a defining characteristic of who God is. God is love. How can God be love if God is not triune? Let me explain what I mean when I say that. If God is not triune, if he is a monad, which is a theological term, meaning God existed in eternity past alone, without any mm-hmm. relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then God is not necessarily love. That means, there, to use some of the Arians' language here, there was a time where God was not love. Love is not necessary for God's, God's character because God, however long eternity past was, there was no need for love. And that there was a time where God began to execute love towards those that he had created. But if you believe in the Trinity, 
you believe that God has ever existed in three persons. Right. And the Bible says that the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Spirit loves the Son, and, and, and so on. That means, therefore, I believe that God in eternity past has ever and always been demonstrating and experiencing love for other persons. And that enables what John said in 1 John to be true, that God is love. He is mm-hmm. necessarily and definitionally, if that's a word, I don't know, it's a, it's a love that God has because he is there has always been someone for the father to love well for and the if that's not love, the true then what then creation happened out of necessity because God needed someone ah, to love yeah do you see what I'm saying yeah, if, spit on that for a sec that that turns creation into this act of God's emptiness his loneliness well God is this single you know single personed being with no one to love said I need to make someone to exercise my love towards but that's not what creation was creation was let us make man in our image god out of his fullness out of his needlessness out of his state of eternal love you remember got to remember guys eternity past isn't just a long time before and then all of a sudden the creation happened. It was there was just as much forever going back as there was going forward. So before anything ever was, including time and space, God was existing in perfect love within himself. Yeah. Now if you that that's a good point you made. I hadn't even quite considered that. But if you say, well, no, I I I don't believe in the Trinity, and I believe that God is love, then for God to necessarily be love, meaning God m- cannot exist without being love, which is what the Bible says, right? God can do anything. You, you understand, guys, it's the definition of God is that he is love. That means creation was necessary. God had to have children to love so that he, he could be love. Otherwise, he doesn't need to, to be a God. He's not He's not of necessity a God of love. He's a God of power. He's a God of might. He's a God of strength. But he is not ne- of necessity a God of love. I, I would even say God is of necessity a God of justice, but not of necessity a God of wrath. God is justice because God has always been fair and just. But wrath, God can exist without demonstrating wrath. The, the time came where he needed, as a, as a result of his justice, to demonstrate his wrath. But we don't believe that, you know, God is just exists in eternal perpetual wrath state. Right. But we do believe that he perpetually exists in a state of love. Mm-hmm. My kids, it always blows their mind when I tell them, I knew your mommy before you were even born. They have a hard time conceiving of the fact that yes. there was something yeah, else my, going on. My kids also. That we've loved each <laughs> other for a And then the thing is we, you know, we had our first child like a, a year and a half after we were married. So it wasn't that long. But like, <laughs> I've been loving your mom for a very long time. And so they they like don't quite know what to do with that mm-hmm. sometimes. But let's use that as an illustration. Obviously, there was a time where I met my wife and began to love her. So it's a little different. But I loved my wife. I still do. <laughs> I loved her for years where we were together and the love was flowing back and forth. And then we had children. Why? Because, you know, let us make some little brats in our in our image, you know? <laughs> Let us procreate <laughs> and have some children so that we can love. It's the drive of a mother and father to have children. And that's the similar drive, I believe, that the Lord has. He calls himself our father. Whereas, you know, if my wife and I, as many had, had been unable to have children, or if we didn't particularly want children, that doesn't affect our love with each other. Mm. But we wanted to, to spread the love. So why did God create? Because he was already love and wanted to continue demonstrating love. That means that when you come to God, his definitive characteristic towards you is love, not hate, not anger, not destruction, and or even power and pride, but 
God is love, which is why the gospel is Trinitarian shaped, because the Trinity teaches us that God is necessarily and has always been and been and will ever be love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God. Well, and you don't want a God. Yeah. The Trinity keeps God at a level that is correctly above us. You don't want a God that's small enough to exercise his emotions in exactly the same way you do. You don't want, trust me, you don't want a God that acts and thinks and operates in exactly the same way you do. And the Trinity prevents that. God is saying, no, who I am, and it prevents, meaning it's just, we're just describing who God really is, guys. We're not, we didn't come up with something to get us out of a theological loophole. But what what I mean by that is that if you, if you're trying to believe, no, 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 God is just the one person, then in what way is God separated from you? He's just a bigger version of you then. And when he creates something, it's just like you would create it because he wanted it to be there. He needed it. There was some sort of lack he experienced. But when God is three person, there's never, he was experiencing perfect love for all eternity past before creation. That means creation is a super abundance of his desire and his love. And you don't, trust me, you don't want a petty, small, you know, puny God <laughs> who uh And that's who, who what needs you get, you. man. When you don't have a solid understanding of the Trinity, right. you start to lose the, the love of God. Mm-hmm. It just begins to happen. I, you look at Islam or you look at some of these cult groups mm-hmm. that have eliminated uh, the Trinity. And your picture of God becomes the tyrant. And and there might even be a place for us to understand God as the all-powerful dictator of creation. The Bible uses the word despot to describe him, right? The only appropriate one. But if that's not balanced by right. the definition of God as love, mm-hmm. God is only power. He's only strength. He's only justice. Well, now the most important thing in church becomes power and and strength. And you mm. become harsh with people because God is... is God is necessarily harsh, but not necessarily loving. And that's hard. You've seen it lived out. So here's how this affects your life. The next time you wonder if God loves you, y'all think on the Trinity. Mm. God is love. God's been loving and created you so he could keep on loving you. Mm -hmm. And this is a hard thing as as a father sometimes when little children have their doubts about, you know, you do you still love me? It's like, what? What What are you talking about? Of course I still love you. I, I... I chose to bring you into this world so that I could be with you. And, Mm. you know, then they'll give you those big old hugs and I'll never, (laughs) here's a little story. We got time. It's a long podcast, but there was one time Josie was maybe three or four, my daughter, Josie May. And, um, I was put my shoes on and she goes, daddy, where are you going? And I said, I'm going, honey, I'm going out. And she goes, where are you going? And I don't remember why I said it this way. I said, somewhere else, baby. And she goes, to live. <laughs> she, did, she can't say her else. So, so to live. She was so distressed that even though I was not the farthest thing from my mind, I saw how she would reacted to the thought of daddy going away and never coming back. I was like, hey, 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 honey. No, 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 none of that. Not to live. I'm going to the store, you know, whatever it was. <laughs> and there's that desperate need that we all have for our heavenly father even I don't care if you are the most hard bitten gangster soldier, whatever, <laughs> and nobody, you know, I don't need anybody's love. I, yeah, you do, and you know you do, and you need your father to love you. And the reason you you can see that is angry people when you they start explaining why they're so angry. Well, my dad never loved me. My dad was always harsh. It's like yeah, it's because there's something in you that still wants your daddy to come in and love on you. But the good news is he is love. That God is is in trinitarian love and will ever be and has invited you into that relationship. That's pretty great. Isn't yeah, that, it's that's, absolutely. In, in, that it's sounds like, like the cure for the mental health crisis to yeah. me, doesn't it? Well, yeah, that God <laughs> isn't dependent on you. 
You know, I can't imagine living around thinking, you know, at some point God needed me to exist, and that's why He made it's like me. The like the Clash of the Titans movies, it's remember not that? Good. The new ones were like nobody's praying to the gods anymore, so they start losing their power. Yeah, like, it makes what God Santa, Santa Claus or, or Tinkerbell. <laughs> you know, we've been reading the the Peter Pan book to my kids, and it's like, well, if, you got to clap to make Tinkerbell yeah, and, and that's life. that's not God. You know, I exist because God was so sufficient that He just had spare time on His hands. That's a God I can worship, you know, a God that yes. just, you know, he, he's so overabundant in his love that he can just lavish love on me. And there's no lack. He still has complete eternal love within himself. And it's not as if me getting love is having someone else miss out because he was perfect in love from eternity past. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so it, it, it creates this who how could you then think if you know that God is just so loving that that's the action that he's taking in eternity past is just being there with nothing else to do except just love within the Trinity. Well, then why would I ever wonder? Oh, I'm not going to bother him because he doesn't want to hear my prayer. Of course he does. Yeah, he was he was sitting there in eternity past. Not sitting there is the wrong metaphor, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. God was in eternity past, just so you're loving. positing an eternally existent chair. Then no, I'm not. I'm um, but but you know what I'm saying. Like so, of course I'll never be afraid. That the what this works out in my life is I'm never going to be afraid to go pray and ask God because I've learned that love is part of who God is. Yes, that, that it's just it's just def- definitional to God is that He loves, and therefore, of course, He wants to hear from me. Just like your little kid will come and say, oh, "Of course, Dad is interested in my picture I drew," right? Because mm-hmm. He's got that confidence that He knows something about your character, hopefully. And and I got that confidence in the Lord. I know that it's who God is, right? You're a good, good Father. It's who you are. Yeah, I was actually going to even share that song because you know old preachers love to share hymns. Okay, good yeah, one. they're great, but you know that song, "Good, Good Father," which part of me didn't even love that song when it came out until I realized something, you know, because good God fathers, I've heard the tender whispers of love in the dead of night. And I just hear that and I go, I don't want to be saying about tender whispers, you know, <laughs> this, which is, I need to get over myself, you mm-hmm. know, but you know, you're a good, good father. And that song, when it came out, I remember looking at the stat was the most sung worship song of all time. Mm-hmm. Very quickly. They were hmm. singing it because they're singing it all over the world in all these different languages. It's like, that's incredible. And I heard some people kind of criticize it's kind of a shallow, it's not very, you know, it's sure it's, yes, it is. But, you know, they didn't really like it or they didn't like the tune. And I said, let's just take a second and think about why this song is resonating. Yes, right. This is yes, the most yes. fatherless generation the world has ever seen. Mm-hmm. And they come to church and somebody writes a song about God and says, you're a good, good father. It's who you are, right? And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. It's like, you're my father. And you love me. That's that's all I need to define myself. And not that. that and remember, back to the Trinitarian. Not that you're acting as my father, but might stop. Not you're you are are showing yourself to me as father, father figure. No, you can't. God can't stop being father. Yes, it's one of the three persons. It, it is it is who he is. Right? Yeah. Is, there, is there ever going to time when God just stops being the father? Of course not. That's that's. Who, that's one of the three persons of the Godhead. Yeah, so it's actually great theology, even yeah. if it is put a little more simply. You no, know, but that but, assurance that that is, yeah, it's needed. I mean, mm. when you just you go look, guys, at instead of criticizing some worship concert you found online, take a look at, at some of the videos of maybe pick that song, and look out in the audience and see a, you see a bunch of young young kids mm-hmm. crying with their hands up by singing "You're a good good father," and remember how few of those kids had good fathers or had fathers period or even know their father Mm -hmm. it's the answer to that problem and so have a little bit of grace and Mm -hmm. and remember and and that that one's kind of 
you know, fallen into the common usage now, which is good. But I mean, like that other one, your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Well, what if you grew up with a dad who ran out on you? Failed and gave who up. Who failed and, you, yeah, who uh-huh. gave up. Yeah. Well, your love never does that. Right. And it's true, right? Oh, it's just all repetitive. And it's like, oh, yeah, so so are some of the Psalms, right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. But that's another podcast uh, for another day. Yeah, the hey, love of leads God. leads right into worship now. Right? Yeah, so, yeah. but that's actually our number three is, mm-hmm. is worship. And maybe we'll be a little shorter on this one because we kind of touched on it already. But your actual worship should be Trinity shaped too. Yeah, and flows from the love of God, right? Once you get that understanding of God's love and who he is, of course it ought to flow naturally back into worship. Yeah, and the creeds say that, as we ought to know, is that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are equally to be worshiped. That's in the creed that the mm, son mm. is to be worshiped alongside the father and the spirit and the spirit is to be worshiped alongside the father and the son. So you can say, well, we worship the father, right? But not, no, no, no. There is one God. Mm-hmm. And also we believe in perichoresis that the Holy Spirit contains the father and the son. So they fell down and worshiped Jesus, right? Had a fun conversation with my my middle little boy the other day. We're driving, you know how it is. The Bible says that you're supposed to, when you sit down, when you rise up, when you drive around in the car, I think that's in the Hebrew. Um, and he- uh, <laughs> They were all in one accord. <laughs> it was a civic. Um, and he, oh, uh, he, he, uh, he asked me the other day, he asked me a Trinitarian question. He said, dad, he said, we're supposed to love God, right? I said, yes. He said, and we're supposed to love Jesus, right? I said, yes. And I said, well, which one are we supposed to love more? I said, that's a very good question. And so we talked about, that's a good question. just gave him like a small, you know, we just talked about, well, you know, you remember the Trinity, right? Where they're, they're not different, like separate. They're the same. He goes, oh yeah. He goes, that's pretty cool. <laughs> right. And yeah. so, you know, that's, that's important. You don't want to separate. Oh, we give worship. And I've even heard some people say that they do this weird chopping up in your prayers that you're supposed to, well, you're supposed to say this kind of to God, the father and this to the spirit. I, to me, or you should only worship Jesus. I hear a lot like the song. Yeah. You know, I don't Jesus is the name of every name. So that's the name that we ought to worship. Uh, Yes and no. Yeah. But, I, I think you're yeah. kind of pushing a little far there. That, you're not supposed to worship God? And, and yeah. is the Holy Spirit <laughs> not worthy of worship? Like, yeah. Well, I, I know, you know some folks even that I admire that will say we shouldn't be singing Old Testament worship songs in, in today's age because they they don't speak about Christ and the gospel. And mm-hmm. okay. I, I think that's, again, pushing it a little far. Yeah, yeah I would agree. I think for the most part, there are a lot of great worship songs that have mm. the Trinity in them. So we just talked about you know, ones that kind of talk about one aspect of God. I talk about Jesus Messiah from Chris Tomlin, right? Uh, the Father, the Son, right? Is it that Jesus Messiah? No, I'm thinking of, um, it's called Praise the Father, Praise the Son. <laughs> praise uh-huh, the Father, yes, Praise yes, the yes. Son, Praise the Spirit, three in one. Uh, that's a great song. Hillsong has a song called King of Kings that has the Trinity in it. Praise the Father, Praise the Sons, Praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of Kings. And even after, to be honest with you, as a worship leader and a musician, sometimes I get sick of songs faster than everybody else does because I'm also <laughs> practicing them and listening to them every week. Yeah, We kept that song longer than I even really wanted to because it's such a strong Trinitarian worship song. Yeah. You got that old hymn, Holy, 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 right? Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Mm-hmm. That's great. It's awesome that you've got that. You've also got the doxology, right? Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Uh, Phil Wickham does this a lot where he will, each verse will describe what the Father does and the Son mm-hmm. does and the Spirit does. And uh, there's a new one from We the Kingdom Out called Jesus Does, which is Great. Uh, and the chorus is praise to the Father, praise to the Son, praise to the Spirit who's living in us. It's it's good to keep songs like that in there. I would even say you as a, as a pastor or worship leader, make sure you have a couple Trinitarian songs in rotation. 
that you're keeping that out in, in front of the body of Christ because it's all of these things that we're talking about needs to be kept in the forefront. And we need to make sure, Zach, that we are specifically worshiping and acknowledging God as Trinity, not just in the in the distinction or the unity, but in the, the three and oneness together. I think it might even be a little more important for those of us like us, you know, we're Calvary Chapel guys, so we're non-denominational. So we're not going to, if you come to a Calvary Chapel church, you're not going to be hearing creedal formulas or, you know, or like a formal liturgy or a liturgy. Yeah. Right. And so one of the things that you do lose with that is you don't have those constant reminders. And sometimes it can be a little too much and can be monotonous and we don't want that. But you do want to make sure, okay, if we're not going to do those, and I, I, I think that's fair, we have reasons for doing a contemporary worship that I love. Okay. But we need to make sure that we're keeping one of the benefits of that, which is these reminders of timeless truth in those creeds, right? That's why I love that a lot of people are setting them to songs now, you know, because it's like, let's let's not lose this reminder of who the Lord is and those form, we call them like a formula, right? In the creed, just which just means, you know, it's a reminder of God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. We want to be keeping those in front of us so we don't N neglect them in any way. So yeah, I would say we, we want to keep a good watch on that, especially if you are in a more contemporary setting. Yeah. I just remember another one. Do you remember um, when you were a kid that that song you would sing in a round, like, Father, I adore you, lay my life before you. And yes. then the first would start yeah. singing Spirit, uh -huh. and then mm -hmm. Jesus, I Jesus, adore. I adore you, yeah. Um, that's a great little little ditty. Yeah, yeah. Know that it keeps the Trinity in front of everybody. So um, we've kind of hit on this some already. So just to move on, there's a lot of great Trinitarian songs. Uh, Elevation actually writes a lot of really good Trinitarian mm. songs that are, are worth your time. Um, and and actually a lot of churches that have more, a more Pentecostal bent will emphasize that because mm -hmm. there's an emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And so that that gets them thinking about what else to throw out a good there. Thing. So yeah, keep that in mind. Uh, don't just talk about the Father and the Son. Keep the Holy Spirit and keep them all, all together. Uh, number four very closely related is our prayer mm -hmm. is our prayer and one of the things jesus showed us during the last supper is i'm opening up a, a special kind of access to pray that y'all have never had before he says i'm going to the father and you're going to start praying in my name and the holy spirit will be with you to teach you everything that i'm trying to say and now if you ask anything in my name i will do it that is such incredible permission mm -hmm. first of all it's a trinitarian truth that Jesus Christ prayed. Yeah, well, Jesus yeah. prayed. Uh -huh. And why would we be asking in Jesus' name? Who are we? Like, yeah, it's, it makes God out, head around that. It makes God out to be schizophrenic. Yeah, but, but Jesus, Jesus was speaking to his father. And remember, this is the Trinitarian beauty of the incarnation. Jesus is speaking to his father in the filling of the Holy Spirit. Yes. And he's never, he's, he says, I don't go anywhere if my father doesn't, you know, if the, the, through yep. the spirit, that my father doesn't don't give go me anywhere permission, right? So it's, if, if Jesus chose to pray that way, if Jesus chose to exist that way, when he was here on earth and he, remember, he was tempted all the same way as we do. He lived a normal life, right? He wasn't some super man with superpowers. Nope. He, he chose he to exist. Himself. Right. He had a life like you, Christian. So if that's true and Jesus prayed in this way acted in this way, had this reliance on his father through the Holy Spirit, what should we neglect that constant reliance? And I'm, I think we're all guilty of that. I can certainly be guilty of that. that I think <laughs> Jesus need to pray. Oh, I need Jesus to pray. needed to pray. Don't you think you, uh, right. Jesus would like skip ministry appointments uh -huh. to go pray. Yep. He was in tune with the father yeah. through the Holy Spirit. And so of course we can be guilty of the, Oh, I've got, I've got this one. I'll pray for the really big, scary things. 
That's not how Jesus saw it. Jesus saw mm-hmm. it as, I, well, I'm awake, so it's another day of needing the, my, my Father's instruction and guidance through the power of, of the Spirit. Yeah, how did Jesus know to go through Samaria? How did Jesus know that? Mm-hmm. Because the so Holy the Spirit, Spirit would tell him, him yeah, as uh-huh. he sought yeah, yeah. the Lord and as he yeah. prayed to his Father. And what Jesus tells us in the Last Supper is, I'm now making this available for you. How I've prayed and sought the Lord is now available to you. And mm-hmm. so that makes our prayer so special. Mm-hmm. That you're not just coming to God like most people do with you know your humble sacrifice, and I hope you Almighty right, right, Odin right, right. will listen to uh-huh. my see the blood of the sacrifice. No, the only blood of the sacrifice God sees is that of His Son Jesus. And Jesus said, "Now, once that's done, that sacrifice forever." I mean, even just consider that that the Jews every time they came to the Lord, they needed to bring a sacrifice. Yes, every time. Uh, you know, an ancient Greek came to pray. They needed oh, to bring yeah. a sacrifice. You propitiated. Every time, yeah, yeah, you needed to come and cover your mm. your transgression or just to appease the gods. Mm-hmm. Well, Jesus, guess what? I'm going to do that one time and that will cover the whole rest of your life. So you are spending the whole rest of your life. Maybe you're coming from like a more Hindu or pagan background or you're tempted to go back to that. How would you like to live the rest of your life as if you just offered the perfect sacrifice to cover every mm-hmm. sin? That's what it means. It's not walking into the temple. It's you are the temple now. I mean, yeah. everywhere that you go, right? By the indwelling Holy uh-huh. Spirit. Yes. And if we believe in perichoresis, that means that the Holy Spirit brings the Son and the Father to you as well. So you have complete access to God. Would you like to have the same relationship to the Father through the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ did? Because that's that's the offer Ooh. of the gospel, right? It's not just... That's so cool, Yeah, man. right? It's not just... Oh, it, love it's it. the same. And and the tragedy that... So I'm thinking about this in my... I've, I've been working this year on, on... And I think the Lord has been growing me in, in that, in my prayer life of remembering that that's the access that I have. And let me tell you, you do you want to... When we talk about prayer, is that maybe in your spirit? You're like, oh, prayer, I know I need to... Okay, do you want to turn this from a, a sad kind of guilty duty into something that you're excited about? You've got to be in a Trinitarian prayer service. And what do I mean by a Trinitarian prayer service, right? Not just, okay, let's come, you know, nobody likes, I don't think I'm innovating by saying this, nobody likes a prayer service where we show up and we all talk about our aches and pains and sprains and we all <laughs> pray, you know, which is good. We The Bible says we need to pray yep, for one no, another. No, no, no. Not saying it's bad, right. but that's all we do. And then we go home and nothing happens. But when we have, if you have once tasted the kind of prayer where you come in and activity is happening, in the Holy Spirit, which, by which I mean you can sense that God the Father, through the, the work that his son has already done, that his son has purchased, is now sending the Spirit into that place. Not that he's not there, but you know what I'm talking about. He's sending the Spirit to work on hearts and to change lives and to fill someone with a knowledge that someone else over here needs. And if you've never had that yeah. experience where you walk into a room and 30 minutes later you realize, oh, The Holy Spirit worked on all of us separately so that when we came into the room, all of us had the exact same thing that was on our heart that now we're sharing. Yep. You will never think about prayer the same way again. Yeah. I mean, that's that experience that I'm talking about that so many people are missing from their life. That, that sense of, okay, this is, yes, I'm reading the word and that's important. Don't stop that. I'm going to church. That's important. Don't stop that. But I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I've experienced his presence. That's a different thing. Let's talk about the prayer chain for a second. Okay. And I'm not talking about. You know, the phone call. My parents used to always get, we have texts now, but yes, we do, yeah. my parents used to get a phone call and it's like, oh, it's a prayer chain. And they would, they would call and everybody know what was going on in the church. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we pray, what mm-hmm. happens? We pray, we offer up our request to God. Mm-hmm. What is, first of all, we're not in the temple where God is supposed to live. So how is God supposed to hear us? Well, the Holy Spirit has been sent by the risen mm-hmm. Jesus mm-hmm. 
to come and dwell within you and make your heart a, a perpetual, walking, talking, holy place. So when you pray, the Holy Spirit hears that. Mm-hmm. And because the Holy Spirit is also mutually indwelt by Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit brings those and communicates those things to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who the Bible says lives ever to make intercession for us. So the Son, who is always heard by his Father, takes what you have prayed, has been communicated to him by the Holy Spirit, and brings it directly to God the Father, who then acts because God always says, yes to his son and you have been brought into that prayer chain no other mediator no other in between you you go directly to god the father you've got the direct line that's trinitarian doctrine Mm -hmm. because we Mm where otherwise what else is this what are Mm -hmm. we doing so doesn't that make you want to go pray for stuff it does in fact (laughs) and i have found that there are some again this could be its own podcast but there are some that they don't like it when you talk too much about how god answers prayer they, because prosperity teachers have ruined it for people. Sure. Because they well, you don't want to just go out saying that we can just say whatever we want and God will do it. I've never said that. I'm never gonna. So leave that out. What does the Bible say? Mm. And many, I, I get concerned that we've allowed these false teachers to strip away from us the blessings that Jesus promised for us. Yep. And that have been trinitarially, <laughs> trinitarianally. Sure, something. Through the Trinity mm. bestowed upon us. Yes. And once you've experienced that, it's really hard to talk about anything else. And in order to solidify that kind of prayer, people have to be theologically convinced of the access they have to God so that they can then pray the prayer of faith, which is why people who see a lot of miracles talk an awful lot about the access you have to God. Interesting. Because when once you've he- seen people healed through your prayers— yep. All you want to do is tell other people. But you realize very quickly, most people don't realize they can come to God and pray like that. So like, let me just tell you so that you can be reminded about this and then go out and do it. So yeah, no, yeah it, Trinitarian it, it prayer, friends. Really does. I mean, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just speaking in hypotheticals. There is a difference in my life and what my prayer life was like before I grasped these things. Right? I always knew these things before I had a hold of them. And, and afterwards, could not, I cannot explain to you the difference. Would not go back ever you know, to a time where this was not how I was living and walking. And I know so many people that are like that, you know, that have had that experience. And man, it's just, if you have, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's it's right there for you purchased by Jesus and, and you got to experience that. All right. So let's look at number five. Let's talk about relationships. Mm. And we hit this in the last one and we hit it in another one. So we'll see how long we talk about it. But relationships. Now there are some who contest that really the Holy Spirit the, the Holy Trinity does not teach us much about relationships. They say that it is a mistake to view the Trinity as a as any kind of social relationship because God is one, and they, they're afraid that you are dividing the substance to do that. But I don't think that that is, uh, I don't think that's correct because Jesus compares the love that the Father has for him to the love that he has for us. And if he communicates the love of the Father to us, we're supposed to communicate the love of Christ to each other. So the Bible uses the Trinity's love as an example that we are to have for one another. So setting that aside for a minute, how does the Trinity conduct himself? What We're looking at the economy of the Trinity here mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. And the answer is, is mutual submission, mm-hmm. that the Father sends the son who submits to his father and submits to the spirit and the spirit leads the son and then the son returns to heaven. He's given all authority by his father. The spirit is sent by him. And then at the end of days, the son is going to return all authority back to the father. That's mutual submission. That is a group of people. And I'm using this as an illustration now with all the doctrine just said still still here. That is a, a group of people who do not care who comes first. 
They just love each other. There's mutual submission and deference to each other. It's not that the son is subordinate to the father. It's that Mm -hmm. he willingly emptied himself. Philippians chapter 2, he did not count equality with God robberies, a thing to be grasped and held onto at all costs. He willingly emptied himself. doesn't surprise you then that that the enemy is so on crusade against the Trinity because that's the linchpin on which a number of other, you know, lesser doctrines are holding. If we've already talked about this, so I know we're just reemphasizing it, but if you're concerned about, well, I'm really worried about feminist theology, well, friend, you need to be getting into Trinitarian theology. Well, I'm really worried about, you know, all this weird talk about power that's coming into the church. Well, you need to be getting into Trinitarian theology because the, the, a solid understanding of the Trinity teaches us that power is not anything. Mm-hmm. Authority is not anything, good or bad, right? And, and not your position does not determine doesn't dictate your, who you your are. Substance. Right. And if you, if, if it's so, if, if you ever, just turn your head and like, that doesn't even make sense when you hear people say things like, well, you know, it can't be that there's authority within the Trinity because then that would make the Father better than Jesus. And does authority make somebody better than somebody right. else? That tells you an awful lot about those people that think it that. sure does. And maybe we'll do a series on on woke theology, maybe guys. Someday, but yeah. Like, but, but that's why those people, it, that's the, the implicit thing that's hidden there, that if you have less money than somebody, then they're better than you. It's like, well, I don't think that. Right. Well, of course you think that. No one that's why we think that. But, yeah. And you then want to come and change that, which tells me you believe that too. Right. You believe that somebody with more money is better than or somebody more who power doesn't or have more it. Authority. Or power or authority. Christians don't believe that. And why don't but why don't we believe that? Tyler? Because of the Trinity. Because of the Trinity. We've been Christians have been taught for millennia that within the persons of the Godhead is a perfect love. We talked about it. it's a perfectly loving relationship that exists with mutual submission. So God's perfect love can include submission to authority without coercion, mm-hmm. without without um, uh, uh, abuse, without any, anyone feeling or being over or different in substance. Jesus even said that. Yes. He said, you know that the Gentiles lord it over when they have authority. Says, but not, not so. You. Not you guys. Why? Because that's not how I am with my father. My father isn't sitting up in heaven saying, well, now that you're down there, I tell you whatever I want and I'm better than you because you laid aside your... No. He, it was, he, that was not the relationship, right? And, and so because of that truth, Christians have always been the ones that said, well, that man's a slave and that man's not. There's no difference between those men before God. Christians have always been the, the, the people to come into a society and say, that's a man and that's a woman. You can't treat her differently than you treat him because they're not different before God. We Why? Because of the Trinity. Other cultures, other faiths, other people have been the ones who have been saying, well, look, the strength or the power that these people have defines them. We have never been that way because we know down to the substance of God that that is not how God has ordered the universe. That before God people's ontology and their economy are not the same. You, yeah. It doesn't matter who you are, what you do, how, what you work at, what position you are in the world. A Christian should never, and you, Christian, should never look at that person and think of them defined by that because God doesn't think of his own son in that way. Yeah. I, to remind you guys what we're meaning here, the ontology of the Trinity is the being, the nature of God. And the, the three are absolute ontological equals. But in the economy of God, there is role that is played. There is submission. There's all those things we just said. And yet their economy does not affect their ontology. Right. This is why a great example of this is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, where Paul's giving moral instruction. And he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Mm. How do people in the church react? 
We are deferential to one another. We submit to one another. Mm-hmm. That Ought to be. You know, I, I'm I'm the pastor of the church, but there can be times where I can submit, I can defer to somebody else because it doesn't matter. It's not going to affect who my standing before God. I don't need to hold on to my role as the pastor. Mm. If I do that, then I'm, I'm, people won't respect me. It's like it doesn't, that that you can't touch who I am. Right. right. You can't touch that by how you treat me. That's when he then goes on to wives submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives. He goes on to define those roles as being distinct and clear from one another, but it's all under the heading of submission to one another out of deference for Christ. You know, a, a harmonious marriage where the husband is loving his wife and the wife is submitting to her husband, there's an awful lot of mutual submission that goes on there naturally because we're both in Christ and it's okay. And and even when we say things like in the Bible, slaves, submit to your masters out of reverence for Christ, like you would submit to do. How can you ask them to do that? It's so degrading. No, it's not degrading. Mm. It's not degrading because that you can't touch their soul. It's Christ-like, in fact. When, when we get mm. to heaven, it's not going to matter who was the slave and who was the master. It's not going to matter one leg. It's not going to matter who had the corner office and who was cleaning the corner office mm. because your soul is bigger than that. Mm. And, and I'll just say practically, this this has been actually a really big thing in my marriage that I've, I've, we have found as, as spouses that the learning more and delving more into who God is in Trinity has taught us a whole lot about how our relationship should be. And I don't think that there was like deep brokenness there, but the, it's, it's helped me to realize, oh, it's not, it's good for me to take the position of authority out of love. That's a loving thing to do because look, God, the father does it. And that's not him, uh, you know, putting himself above the other members of the Trinity. That's ridiculous. It's helped my wife to see this, unlike what the world bombards our poor, you know, wives with, it's not her lowering herself to to be in that position of submission. It's her actually being in a Christ-like way to to and and, right. and being and like Christ and to be in submission to, be, to her husband. Of course, and it ought to be that mutual submission as well. That it's not, you know, and unfortunately, guys, I'll tell you, you see some messed up marriages where the doctrine of the Trinity is not correctly worked out, and that really shouldn't surprise us, of course. If somebody doesn't understand the mutual submission that's going on within the Trinity, then to them, the position of authority as the husband is a position of being better. Yeah, it, it, it generates envy. You of know, course. The, your neighbor that has a, you know, a bigger car, a nicer car yeah. than you, or a bigger house than you, or a prettier wife than you, or you know, more well-behaved kids that get better grades, and you you start oh, you can start to feel really bad about yourself. Not like, not like a a. Perfectly legitimate. Wow, I, that I really wish I had that. I really wish I had a nice car like that. I really wish I had a nice house like that. I wish my kids were better in school. Like, not that you hate them. But you get the idea. That's natural and normal. But you begin to feel bad about yourself. Mm. That the differences in our status extend beyond our material possessions to our immaterial souls. Mm-hmm. And that's simply not the case. So we, I could talk about this forever and have. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. let's move on to the next one. Number six is evangelism. Mm. And this is is quite simple as well, that when you go out to share the gospel with somebody, it is an adventure with you and the Holy Spirit out doing this. Oh, boy. The Father <laughs> has, in his sovereignty, predestined and, and drawn all men to the Son in Christ. And you are, the method he uses is you sharing the gospel. Jesus Christ died on the cross and intercedes and draws people to himself to come and be saved. Come hear my gospel. And he uses you as his voice and his mouthpiece. The Holy Spirit fills you up and sends you out and empowers your words, gives you the words in the moment. And while you're talking to somebody, the Holy Spirit is working on their heart 
and, and transforming them from the inside. And when they believe and they put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit seals them for salvation. You lay hands on them to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit fills them. And now they go out. It's a partnership with you and the Trinity when you go out sharing the gospel with somebody. Oh, That's pretty cool. It feels about as scary as adventurers usually do too. It's, <laughs> it's you're, you're, you're putting yourself out there and, and you're relying. Adventure is out there. Yeah. <laughs> and you're relying so much on the Holy Spirit. If you've ever, and that's why sometimes I know people that are really intimidated by evangelism. Look, it's, you don't have to, you're not weird to feel that way. It's a little, it's a little different. It's a little scary. Why? Because it's not something that just you can do. You're asking the Holy Spirit, show me the person to talk to. Show, give me the words to say. Like you, it's not like, you know, you know, it's not, evangelism isn't some debating society where we're just going to like logic somebody <laughs> into the kingdom. You can't do that. Masters. Yeah. If you've tried, right. If you've tried, you know, that's not how it works, man. Is that how you got saved? No, it was the the work of the Holy Spirit, the love of God. And you're going to, you just basically got to put yourself out there to be used by the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, show me the person, give me the words to say in the moment. You know, there's some places where the Bible actually instructs people, don't think it up beforehand. Yeah, Jesus said that. You know, he's like, don't don't spend all your time thinking, well, if they'll say this, and then I'll say that. He said, the, you, the Spirit if, will give you. If you got a rigid plan, how are you going to let the <laughs> Holy Spirit give you words in the moment? Yeah. That's like, uh, that doesn't sound very right. Well, that's what Jesus said. <laughs> yeah, man. he did. And you know, I'll tell you, I, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day who had an experience. They were talking to somebody and they just were discouraged. Like, I don't know if I said the right thing or I don't know if it, I don't know how it came across. And I told them, I said, you know what? I said, but the Holy Spirit was speaking through you and you have no yes. idea how that conversation is going to be used. And man, in, in my experiences in evangelism, which aren't as many as I'd like, but Man, the times where I know I've been used by the Lord, it was not that the Lord used the pre-prepared thing I had. No. Or or the knowledge I had gotten or this 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 preparation, this book I was giving out. It was when I went in cold and I I oh my goodness, I'm talking to this person now who I don't know. Oh, this thing just came up which I have no preparation for. Lord, you literally have to give me word by word in this moment. I'm trying to pray just ahead of the tree, you know, the <laughs> train. Like Wallace and Gromit exactly. laying down the train tracks. You know, I was like, Lord, I don't know what to say now. So I need to give me this now. Well, I'll and tell you, man. That's when the Lord. Everybody always wants in. to uh, say you shouldn't go door to door. You shouldn't share the gospel oh, in man, public, whatever. which is like, yeah, okay. well, it's not, you don't get an opportunity to disciple. Well, yeah, if you never follow up with them, you don't. But right. also remember, you're sowing seeds. Yeah. You're sowing seeds. And I'll tell you, man. I have been a part of some conversations through street evangelism, which terrifies me, by the way. Pastor Tyler? Yes. Yeah. I, it's, it's horrifying. Okay. Ooh, excuse me. Can I talk to you for a minute about Jesus? <laughs> you know, um, it's kind of become the meme now. Okay. Do you have a minute to talk about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? <laughs> but yeah, I've said that sentence many times and I'll say it again. But I can think of some moments. I got two quick stories I'll just tell where I was out sharing the gospel with somebody and I walk away and I go, I said that. I'm like, that was a little intense. And then I realized that was God speaking through me. I remember we were, oh, I've at, had that we were at the park. I've had that happen. Yeah. We were at the park and I was sharing the gospel with this homeless man and uh, back in Lynchburg and Miller Park and uh, with one of the high school students. And he was talking as, as a lot of folks in that situation will do, um, can be rather entitled and, and nothing's my fault. And it's everybody else's fault for doing this to me. It's kind of mm -hmm. complaining and, you know, all the, you know, the Salvation Army, they don't give you anything and they don't give you and they won't let me back in there anymore. And it's like, yeah, well, there's probably a story behind that, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, I just, I just didn't really want to talk about that. I want to talk about the gospel. And he said, uh, well, I don't, he said, one day you're going to die and you're going to stand before God. He said, I don't know that. Nobody ever told me about that. And I said, I said, I'm telling you right now. I said, well, I still don't know. I don't know about whatever that is. And, you know, uh, I said, <laughs> what are you going to do when you stand before God 
And he says, I sent you Tyler Warner on whatever the date was at whatever the time was in Miller Park sitting under the tree mm-hmm. who told you that if you didn't repent, you were going to die and go to hell. He says, well, you shouldn't be trying to put a trip on anybody. So I'm not trying to put a trip on you. I'm just telling you the truth. And then I walked away and I think I was with Caleb that time. He goes, dude, that was, that was heavy. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I hadn't planned to say any of that. But I look back on it like, man, that dude was an older man. He was obviously on drugs, living on the streets. Who knows how many more days he had? And God stepped in and very plainly to his, his face chance. said, yeah, this chance. is your chance. Yeah. I remember one time I was sharing the gospel in the mall. In the mall um, and there was this old man sitting on a bench. I figured, oh, how, how bad can it be? Everybody's a Baptist in Lynchburg anyway. So, you know, <laughs> but this guy was not. He told me he had uh, trained as a Catholic priest and then had left seminary as a young oh, I man. I remember this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I said, well, why? So I just didn't like it. I just, and it was kind of like really didn't really want to talk about it too much, but um I remember saying to him, God wants you back. The Lord wants Mm. you back. And he goes, well, you know, I don't know about anything like that. I said, the Bible says you've got to be born again. You must put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ or you will not be saved. Where did I hear that? I said, I don't know where you heard it. It's in the Bible that, that, you know, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Okay, well, I think our conversation has come to an end. (laughs) And I said, all right. But, and I said this, I said, God wants you to know that he sent me today to tell you this because he loves you and he wants you back. All right. And I just, again, like, that's, that's chilling words to say, but I didn't plan to say that. But like, no, there, here's no. an old man that's been running from God his whole life. Yeah. And I don't know how, again, how many years he had, or he might have decades. I don't know. But, and in the middle of the mall, somebody shows up talking about God and said, hey, God wants you back. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's that's the supernatural action, baby, of evangelism, mm-hmm. man, that you are partnering with God. You think you're doing this by yourself. You're not. God is already active setting these things up for you. God is inviting you into part of the work of the economy of the Trinity. He's saying, look, I, I could do this all by myself. I've got. You don't think I have people? Look, I have three persons. Like God, God could take care of all this by himself. And sometimes that's even a weird thing. People say, well, does God want us to evangelize? Couldn't he just do it himself? Yeah, but yeah, he, he does. said. We're the, we're the method he uses. Right. He wants to you. He wants to invite us into that process and that's why the bible says that we're a, a fragrance of life to some and of death to others Ooh, it heavy. takes it is heavy but you know what in a sense it also it's so heavy that it just kind of sweeps you up with it and takes all the pressure off you that's the crazy work yeah. the lord's doing what do i got to worry about the lord's the one making all these crazy decisions it's not as if i'm the one having to be the victor for souls you know now you're not out you know i there's some sense in which that's true but in other sense it's like you know what? i'm just showing up here in the middle of this battlefield that the Lord's engaging on, he just gives me this instruction. I go and I do it, and I trust that he's going to take care of all those other details. It frees you from that feeling of like, oh, I've got to do it all myself. Yeah. And I know for some of y'all, like you love to evangelize. Like the action is the juice for you. Like <laughs> yeah. you want to be out there. You want to be out there doing it, and you love the debate, and you love the back and forth, and you love the rush. Well, most of us aren't that way. Most of us just want to, you know, buy a dozen eggs and go home. <laughs> yeah. uh, and AirPods are the greatest invention of all time. You mm-hmm. know, it's an excuse to not talk to anybody. But guys, this is a Trinitarian adventure that you're mm-hmm. out there being used by the Most High God to finish somebody's story that he's been writing. Hmm. So one yeah. more to go. And this is this is hope. We have a Trinitarian hope. And Zach, you already mentioned this, but let me just run through the theology very quickly. We believe in the Trinity. The second person of the Trinity became a man and that he exists in hypostatic union, that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. That did not stop that did at not the resurrection. Stop. It never it's stopped. An important thing. All right. Yeah. Jesus still had scars after he had risen mm-hmm. from the dead. Okay. He has a body now. Yes, he does. So Jesus is 
through the sacrifice, the Bible talks about as being in Christ. The doctrine is called solidarity with Christ. That to be in Christ is to be saved. That Jesus brings you in to his relationship with the Father. It's not so much that you uh, you get to know God because of you. You are brought into Jesus' relationship mm-hmm. with the Father. We are one with Christ. We're his body, the Adopted, Bible says, right? Yeah. So you are brought into union with Jesus' humanity. And his, he is, who is man and God, is also united to the Father and the Spirit through his deity, which means you are brought about as close to the Trinitarian relationship as could possibly be imagined through the hypostatic union, through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And this does not mean that you are going to become God, no. but the Apostle John says, you're, I don't know what we're going to be, but Jesus has made us possible to see God as he is. Yeah. That's an amazing, incredible hope that mm-hmm. we will be made like him. And as I love to say, God took the the false hope that Satan offered in the garden. Yeah. Died on the cross so that he could offer it to us for real. And I think that's the last thing Satan is ever going to see is a bunch of bunch of meat bags that he hates so much to receive the greatest gift that we could ever receive through Christ Jesus, through the Trinity, brought into the humanity of Christ, which is united to the deity of Christ, which is part of the Trinity, that we're, we're going to be right up in there, man. That, that is the coolest thing to think about. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the hope of all, uh, all of mankind <laughs> has always been wanting these things. Like, you know, look at our, in our movies, I want more life, you know, the immortality, take it, it's yours. You know, like that's, that's what we've always wanted, right? Is this, we don't want to die. We don't want to, we don't want to be separated from God. We don't want to be separated even from our other people. We're lonely and we're afraid. And God says, you know what? That, that is a problem. Here's how I'm going to fix it. I'm going to unite you with me. Not, you know, and you, like you said, we gave all the caveats, but man, you go read some of these passages in the New Testament. There is not a lot of caveats given to the relationship that you can have with God. It's called the, glorification, the work of the Trinity. guys. We yeah. will be glorified with Christ. Mm-hmm. You'll be granted to sit on the throne of Christ, the Bible says. It's, it's, I, I think often of going back to school and getting my, my uh, PhD in theology I think I might want to spend some time. Well, look, (laughs) I'm one of those guys, okay? (laughs) Yeah, that's good. That's, if I had to write a dissertation, that might be something that I'd want to spend some time and really dig into is Mm. glorification. Because of this this amazing Trinitarian view of of God and our hope. And that just tells us, you're not going to be a second-class citizen in heaven, friends. Mm. You're not going to be on the outskirts like, oh, I'm just... I'm just kind of here, and that's the best that there is. No, I mean, you're going to be in the bosom of God mm. for all of eternity, glorified to be like him, to look him dead in the face as nobody else ever could by the blood of Jesus Christ, eternally ransomed and glorified and adopted. Like if you're, I, I want to be careful how I say this. I don't want to offend anybody, but this is the analogy the Bible uses. When you are adopted, you are not a blood relative, but you're part of the family. Mm-hmm. And that's who we are going to be. And we are now in Christ is we're not part of the Trinity, but we're part of the family. And it's very difficult to specifically frame what that is because even the New Testament doesn't quite know how to get there. It's a mystery. Yeah, it's, it's you know, we don't want to mince. It's, it's, it is something mysterious and mystical that's presented in the New Testament, the glorification where it, it talks about, what's the verse that talks about the weight of glory? That's like, that's, man, if that's true, that's out there, all that glory, then this suffering, who cares? Because I've got this, yeah, I've got hope of this. Like, who Paul cares? Paul says it's dude? not even worthy to be compared. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's part of that. We don't, and, and if we let go of that, 
if if you don't understand that through understanding who God is, that who the Trinity is, then I think there's something lesser there. You know, it's not just oh, you know, I'll, I'll at some point we'll go up to heaven, and you know, I, we've talked about this before on the podcast. I don't want to belabor it, but just how weak our idea of heaven can be if we don't understand that this is what it's going to be like. You know, you're just going to be sitting up there somewhere in God's presence, I suppose. There's God over there. He's way over there on the on the in the bright spot over by the throne, I think. Plucking and I'm over on here, your heavenly guitar. Yeah, with my harp time. on a cloud. <laughs> that's terrible. But thankfully, like said, that's Daffy Duck, man. Yeah, it's, it's like when Daffy dies and kind of floats up to right. heaven with a harp. There's an escalator, I think, what the involved. Bible talks about no. The, the the what we're talking about with the Bible is that we whatever was going on in heaven before we all existed, that's going to be the state that we're going to be at. After we die. And he's going to create a new heaven and a new mm-hmm. earth. And yeah, he's going to yeah. turn you loose on it to go live in it. And it's yeah. going to be suited for what our new state is going to Whatever be. Whatever that is. It's, oh, Crazy. man, it's so wonderful. <laughs> but guys, I, as we were saying, this is a Trinitarian hope mm. that you are brought into this relationship, that God is is adopting you as his son or daughter, and that Jesus Christ humbled himself and shamed and humiliated himself for your sake so that he could bring you. And the Bible even calls that God's joy. It says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, yeah. endured the cross, Making despising the shame, new. so that he could bring yeah. us to himself. He's going to renew everything. Mm-hmm. And that's through the sacrifice of Christ. And the one who is preparing you for that day is the Holy Spirit. As we worship the Father, can you can you see how theology matters, guys? Mm. It's cool. It, it's important. It affects all these areas of your life. And all of these false doctrines that we talk about, they make God worse and they make us small god in his truth makes him glorious and graceful and even exalts man the exaltation that we will share with christ well because we're That's, made in the image it's the of ultimate god. Yeah. dignification of who man is it's mm-hmm. not humanism it's christianity that elevates humanity higher than humanism ever could because they only know of this world as it exists now. Right. We're looking yeah. for something greater. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it, you don't want to worship a small, petty God. And unfortunately... <laughs> you get small, petty people. <laughs> yes. And, and, you know, and I'm not saying that to mock anybody, but you, you will see this happen where, where there's a weakness in understanding of the Trinity. There's a weakness in understanding of godly Christian love for one another and authority. And, and the prayer becomes weak. The worship becomes weak. The relationships become people with people become weak because you can't understand... The God who is defined, he said, I am love. <laughs> if you don't understand how he is love through the Trinity. So all of these things hang together that we've been talking about. Yeah. So all those things, y'all, the more I meditate on this stuff, I can't remember which came first. I, I either decided to teach a series on the Trinity to our college class, or my dad asked me to help him uh, with a writing project that he had at the time. And uh, I think it, it was that that came first. I think I was, no, no, it was the class. I taught the class on the Trinity and I bought a, a good book on it and I realized, whoa, this is actually really deep. <laughs> yeah, duh, mm. right? <laughs> and so then my dad had this writing project that I was helping him out with and um, I ended up going so far above and beyond when I wrote the section on the Trinity. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's fine. And then since then, I've I we started teaching... I did a series the first year we had a uh, church here. We celebrate Trinity Sunday every year, and now we're doing this podcast. The more I meditate on the Trinity, Mm y'all, the deeper it goes and the more beautiful and glorious it is. And that's all theology, but I think especially when you this, this doctrine of God, 
It's not something just to be tucked away on the doctrinal statement. It's everything. It touches every aspect of the Christian life. Everything we do as Christians is tied to the Holy Trinity and that doctrine. And it's not just getting the right idea about God. Having the right idea about God elevates everything else in your whole life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I hope you've enjoyed this series, guys. And I know... Talking about God in three persons, a one God in three persons, mutually indwelling, eternal relationships of origin, uh, you know, the economy versus the ontology, the hypostatic union, don't divide the substance, don't confound the persons. It seems like a lot. But I'm going to tell you something that maybe you haven't been told before. Maybe you've been told your whole life. Here's one statement that makes me cringe when it says, Trinity, try to understand it, you'll lose your mind, but try to deny it and you'll lose your soul. It's like, no, you won't lose your mind. It's higher than you. That doesn't mean it's incomprehensible. Mm. We we market the doctrine like it's something that no one can understand. It's not, that's not the case. How, something you maybe never heard. You got this. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. got this. You can get this. You can understand the doctrine of the Trinity. Maybe not to the degree of your favorite theologian, but you can understand it as a Christian to at least be able to say the doctrine and then over time gain an understanding oh, of, of it. Of course, yeah. You know, we got to, I'm going to spoil it for those that are at our church in two weeks in the book of Titus, uh, verses four through seven, I'm doing a message called the Trinitarian Gospel because Paul explains the, do- the gospel to Titus and talks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and the part that they all play. It's, it's everywhere. It's part of who we are. It defines us as Christians, you guys. What makes us distinct from the Jews and the and the Muslims? Well, Jesus, we say, yeah, but who is Jesus? He's the Son of God. What does that mean? Well, that means that you know Jesus is the Word who was with God and was God and and was made flesh and dwelt among us. And and so, what does that mean? That means that God is three persons. You 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 can't define who we mm-hmm. are apart from this doctrine. And this is something that always gets swept under the rug, but it shouldn't be. You got this. And our, our challenge today has been to be Trinitarian in your Christian life, in your devotions, in your singing, in your prayer, pastors, in your preaching, in your doctrinal statements, in your outreach, in your evangelism, in your, your theology, in your emphasis. The Trinity, guys, it, it matters. And it's it's so important to me. I, I am more than happy to be known as as I feel I'm becoming to some people as the Trinity guy. <laughs> because it's it's one of those things that there's no bottom to this well. The deeper you go, the more you learn. And there's all kinds of controversy surrounding it, but there is so much richness and depth that is worth meditating upon and, and immersing yourself in so that all can see your progress. Zach, you have any, anything you want to say as we conclude and come yeah, to Yeah, you know, we, we talk about, I think it's even on the website still for Ironworks, is theology for normal people. And I, you know, I, I think sometimes we do a disservice in the church. Pastors, you got to be careful of this. Don't teach people that theology is hard for them. Oh, well, you know, that's, that's for advanced Christians. That's not true. You don't, you don't want to keep, theology is just the understanding and the study of God. We, we all do that. We all should do that. And don't let you, you, you folks that are out there, you know, I'm not a pastor. That's okay. You're, you are just as able. In fact, it's just as important for you to know and understand these things as your pastor and shoot, don't follow a guy who's going to try and protect knowing God from you as if, oh, (laughs) this is just, I understand this. You don't need to worry about it. Uh Uh-uh. The Bible says that we're supposed to be Bereans, that we all search the scriptures to see if these things are so. And you you are more than capable. Trust me. You know what's crazy about, I'll speak to guys, especially because guys are, you know, I'm a guy. So I, I know this stuff. Guys are good at this kind of thing. 
the Lord made us with this this heart to be like, I, I've I've got you know, guys, how many how many World Series teams do you have memorized, or you know, how 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 adept are you at min maxing your favorite you know RPG character? Come on, guys, like you got this. You have the tools in your brain that you need to get in there with the scripture and say, okay, I gotta sort this out. Hypostatic union, how does that work? You you love that kind of thing. Theology is like that, except with the even higher goal of knowing and studying God. So we, we can certainly do this. And it's it's a wonderful thing. It's supposed to be good and enjoyable for us to do. You know what makes me laugh a lot when I'm online is you see people, especially for like their favorite intellectual property, where they're breaking down the lore of like Star Wars yeah, or, or the Lord of the of Rings yeah, yeah. or your favorite From Software game. And <laughs> yeah. these guys have these little debates back and forth mm-hmm. or even like the, the a good concept album like The Wall from Pink Floyd. And they search through every word and every line and they look up for background information and they try to like, what's the special definition of this? And what's this symbol over here? And I'm like, you guys are doing theology. Mm-hmm. It's not, you understand, but like it's within a, a false world. But like I'm I, all these skills that you have, the Lord will use those to teach you. So yeah, y'all, you got this. And, oh, yeah. and I'm going to give you a couple recommended resources here. Hopefully this 11-hour series <laughs> has been helpful for you. Yeah. Uh, I think the next time we revisit this topic, we'll probably look at some more of the, maybe the controversial, the debates surrounding some mm. things. But uh, let me, I gave you four books. I have a whole bunch on the Trinity that I love. But I think a good starting place for everybody, if you're clear on the doctrine pretty much, uh, is called Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. I don't know much about him personally, uh, but I read the book and it's really, really good. And it's, it's much more focused on how it should affect your life. Like why do we love the Trinity so much? And it's got some good history in it. And, uh, a lot of people really like it. it's very short so you can get through it pretty quickly. Uh, they got one here by James White called the forgotten Trinity. And this is much more of a defense of the doctrine. And if you know James White, he'd be a little spicy in how he writes. Uh, he's uh, much more reformed that it that would be Calvinist than we are, but we agree on this absolutely, and and in most other things too. But he that's a good defense. If you maybe have been raised in a um, in a denomination that didn't believe this or that was soft on or you got you just have questions you're starting to feel threatened maybe you've run into some muslims online that are kind of talking at you you don't know what to say james white's your guy go take a look at that book the forgotten trinity there's a book here by a guy named fred sanders called the deep things of god and this is just a good general evangelical book on the trinity uh, that just, it, it talks a lot about the gospel very much about what we talked about today, but it kind of examines other doctrines and how the Trinity affects those doctrines. So that's a, a good neutral book, I think. It's called The Deep Things of God, How the Trinity Changes Everything. And then there's Big Bertha. Zach, have you read Big Bertha yet? I No, I've not. <laughs> uh, no, I'm looking at, this is bad radio, but I'm looking at this huge book that Tyler's holding up across the yeah, desk. This is Big Bertha. It's, it's, I'm just gonna, it's you, a big one. Li- listen, you guys. You hear that? That's a heavy book. It's thick. <laughs> That's a heavy book on my desk. It's called The Holy Trinity by Robert Lethem. And Robert Lethem has some really good other books on the Trinity as well. So do uh, Fred Sanders has some other ones. Um, but this is, this was the one that I think really, after I finished this one, I'm like, okay, now I get it. Now I'm able to start explaining this. So what he does is he starts out by explaining the doctrine of the Trinity from the Bible and from, you know, the ancient creeds. That's the first thing. Second part, which is by far the longest part, <laughs> and it takes a while to slog through, as I said, Big Bertha. But he goes through the history of the doctrine of the Trinity, starting from the early church all the way up to modern day, 
And he goes through all the heretics. He goes through the different developments, some of which are more interesting than others. It's going to be real to you. But then at the end, he's, he's got a lot of great just uh, miscellaneous chapters on the various issues related to the Trinity. He talks about feminism quite a bit. He talks about, uh, you know, not so much the other heretics and cults, but about the gospel. I mean, it's it's got an endorsement from J.I. Packer on the back, if that means anything to you. Um, and you know, other guys, Sinclair Ferguson uh, endorsed that one too, who's also really great. And I've got others, but those are four to get you started. Delighting mm. in the Trinity by Michael Reeves, The Forgotten Trinity by James White, The Deep Things of God by Fred Sanders, and The Holy Trinity, Big Bertha, by Robert Letham. And I'm not saying that I'm going to agree with every position every person takes in those books, but it's good stuff and you guys will, will like it. That's a nice range right there. Um, I encourage you to dive deep into these things, but always double check guys that the person you're learning these things from, make sure that they're from a good church, a good denomination, yeah. make sure they're from a good seminary, that they're in good standing. They're not, you know, some rogue renegade person. Uh, that's why we're trying to put these things up. It's not, not even so much that we theology for you as normal people is that we are normal people. We're not like, this is a pastor right. from a church yep. in America who yep. went to a normal university teaches normal Bible studies and is not going to give you any weird doctrine. Nope. Because there's so much weird stuff out there. But mm. guys, uh, let's be Trinitarian. Let's be Trinitarian Christians as much as we possibly can. That's that's my final charge. Any last words, Zach? No, no. Like we said, you can do this. <laughs> it sounds like I'm about stuff. to whack you. Man. <laughs> any last words? <laughs> nope, I'm good. <laughs> uh, no, guys, thank you. Thank you for coming along with us. We know this was a long one and for hanging in there and, and being excited about all this. And uh, just can't wait to see where we go next as we continue learning about the Lord. God bless you all. We'll talk to you soon. May the Lord bless and keep you. Bye-bye.